because of foreign wars we wage More to do with the colors blue and red You said you lost too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border Politicians build a new world order Too many minds are convinced they should be led I've got to be free The way God made sense And I won't be ruled by the damn Right to self-defense They say you're safe but they don't make sense Dangerous one will not turn into guns All the you know is that before All the bodies made on foreign shores Come a day when you see real hell today I've got to be free The way God made sense And I won't Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. And in the spirit of Christmas, which we are getting ever so much closer to, it is literally this week, this coming Friday, it is Tuesday night, the time of the live broadcast, You know, just in case you're listening to the rebroadcast on one of the many great radio stations across the country that does that. Uh, it is indeed Tuesday evening, right here, it's December the 22nd. 2020. It's a few brief moments after 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so, for your benefit, uh, that's when this show was on live. And of course, we had uh, all kinds of wild stuff going on uh, in the Congress as they decided to have a free for all and just throw together a whole bunch of different stuff and call part of it uh, uh, Corona COVID. 19 relief and part of it the defense spending bill and part of it the omnibus uh, continuation continuing resolution and and uh, some other stuff too and it's just all a big old gigantic ball some of which is just going to sail right uh, through uh, i mean literally the plans right now look like direct deposits uh, into people's bank accounts are going to start as early as next week in fact, a few folks might even be lucky enough to see it before the end of this week. Who knows? They want to just fast-track it. But rumor has it that the defense bill, because there were some things in there that the Trumpster didn't like, 
may meet the veto. And, of course, that just means they're going to have to go back and try and force it through and try and override the veto. And some people are going to whine and say, well, Donald Trump's a lame duck. Why does he even get to do this? Because he's the president for four freaking years, uh, the full term, regardless of whatever else may transpire between now and the next inauguration. Four full years. All right, so uh, had all kinds of stuff going on, and uh, Rand Paul, Rand Paul gave an impassioned speech, uh, of which we will be talking about in the second hour tonight, uh, with tonight's guest, Dr. Michael Bustler. He will be joining us, or at least he's scheduled to join us. I should put it like that. I never really know how things are going to play out, but uh, usually we don't have too many issues getting uh, together with uh, Dr. Bustler, so I, I suspect. That will happen as expected, but you know, if I didn't expect it uh, would happen, then I wouldn't be saying it's expected, would I? All right, I want to give a shout-out to Chief, who uh, is the host of a great show in his own right called Simple Facts of Life. He is hanging out with me in the BTR chat room right now. So far, he is the only one in, but we are just getting started, so we'll probably see a few folks join in. Uh, glad to have you here, Chief. Thanks for uh, tagging along. I did not get uh, the opportunity to uh, listen in to your show earlier tonight, so uh, I will have to check that out in the archives. Uh, ended up running uh, a little later than I would have expected, but uh, yeah, a few different things that we want to talk about, and I will probably hold off on talking about Rand Paul's viral speech on the Senate floor uh, until uh, the second hour uh, as well, so we're going to jump into some of the other topics. Uh, to start with in this first hour, and these topics are, uh, well, you know, I found them interesting. I hope you will too. Uh, this first one, nothing to do with the election, nothing to do with COVID, and nothing to do with, uh, well, I can't say that. I was going to say crazy leftist, but it is everything to do with crazy leftist, just not in the government. Hang on to your hats. I, I came across this, and I I was confused at first. I was wondering how people could get away with this kind of thing. Uh, let me explain the situation. So members of Cornell University student government tried to pass a resolution last month that would disarm the school's police, but the resolution failed. So following that failure, anti-police activists within the student government worked to expel other members who had opposed the resolution and then held a second vote to disarm campus police, which narrowly passed back on December 10th. Now, that's all according to the college fix. Uh, let me say that again in case you missed it or were distracted for a second. The student government tried to pass a resolution to disarm the campus police. They failed to get the measure to go through. So then the anti-police members of the student government worked feverishly to remove the individuals that had opposed it. They didn't like the way it turned out, so they immediately went and got these people tossed off. And even after doing that, they went back, they voted again, trying to get their way, and they still barely managed to pass it. Students, 
said racism was employed by the student government members who wanted to disarm the police. Why would they say that? Well, the people that wanted to disarm the police told numerous white students who spoke ahead of the initial vote that their opinions didn't matter. Well, why doesn't, why doesn't your opinion matter? Well, uh, let me quote you something that was said. Quoting now, as a white man, you cannot be the arbiter of what is and isn't racist and who is a good or bad person. You will never be the arbiter because you are a white man. Now, that was from the Student Assembly Director of Elections on campus talking to a U.S. Marine Corps veteran who spoke at the meeting. Now, the Young Americans Foundations found numerous other instances where race was used to discredit those who opposed disarming campus police. Saying, uh, quoting here, the chair of the student government, Kat Hong, I believe is the uh, pronunciation, agreed to call on minority students over white students after one representative said, I want them to like have their voices be amplified before white people start talking. Now, this was transpiring hour after hour as the student government had meetings that took place over the course of several weeks. They wanted to completely exclude the white voices on the campus. Why? Because it's only the white privileged folks that would expect that campus police might be able to respond to a violent crime that might require deadly force. Now, I don't know why we might suspect there might be the occasion for a college campus to need campus police to be ready, able, and willing to respond with deadly force if necessary. It's not like they haven't been using college and uh, public school shootings as an excuse to try to, to gin up support for gun control measures. No, it's not like they've done that at all, is it? How much safer could college students be on Cornell University's campus if the campus police were able to respond as necessary when needed? Not saying that's where you go first. Not saying that's what you do. Nobody wants cops uh, shooting first and asking questions later, especially the cops. And it doesn't matter if it's campus police, the city police, the county sheriffs, or the state troopers. It doesn't matter. None of these people want to go around and just randomly shoot people, despite what some people would have you believe. That's just not the way it is. We had students told that, quote, when a black woman is speaking, you do not interrupt her, and uh, you are a white man. You cannot tell me how I'm supposed to feel around CUPD, which, of course, is uh, – Cornell University Police Department, uh, after the initial vote failed, members of the student government who supported the resolution circulated recall professions – recall petitions, enunciation being important here – and held rallies against those who opposed it. 
remove some of them from subcommittee positions or the assembly itself and said they were doing it to correct what a white cis het group had done. I'm guessing het is now the uh, go-to uh, short slang for uh, heterosexual, I, I would assume. So the vice president of finance for the student assembly spoke at one of the rallies against the student government members, claiming the 15 members who voted against disarming the police literally laughed and danced in our faces. Well, gee, I wonder why that might have happened. I, I don't know that it did. It sounds like an exaggeration. But if you keep making this great big old deal about how white people shouldn't have a voice, and uh, then all of a sudden uh, they still pass a measure stopping you on something that should be common sense to anybody who has half a brain. You want your police force to be prepared and able to respond. Now, here's another question. I'm sorry, student government, but why is this in your hands in the first place? I'll come back to that. Shouldn't this be the university's place? Shouldn't the administration be in charge of this? But I don't know. Let's see. You insult them. You ignore them. You tell them that their voice should not count at all. You don't just say their voice shouldn't count uh, as much as yours. You don't just say that their voice should only count uh, three-fifths as much as yours. Uh, you say that they have no right speaking on this issue. Where do you get that idea? Where do you get the uh, cojones to think that you can back that up? Surprise, surprise, I probably would have been dancing in your face too, saying, well, you can whine about it all right, but oh yeah, oh yeah, we still won. Why? Because it's the smart position. Now, these 15 student assembly members, these 15 student assembly members watched us pour out our traumas and fears on the floor, practically begging them to vote no, and finally send a message to the university that we can no longer allow these oppressive institutions to keep us down. Yeah, but how did you do that? Because from everything that I've seen, and, and I spent some time looking through some of the video footage that's been made available. I spent some time reading various reports of the day, and I can't see anywhere where you respectfully addressed the assembly in a fashion that made clear that you had a legitimate grievance. All I heard was some talking points from the leftist media and no real instances of things that had transpired on campus in particular. In fact, most of the uh, most of the testimony that was offered up in rebuttal involved things that happened on campus and made a pretty good case for why you might want the campus police to be able to respond a little more forcefully. Now, many quoting once again, many of these assembly members are white cis het men and women who quite literally laughed and danced in our faces when the resolution failed. Their faces are all over social media. We will never forget. Their campus careers are over. We must disarm, defund, and disband the Cornell University Police Department. Uh, 
Again, why? Why do you have to do all those things? Why do you not like having campus police? I mean, I, I, I'm fine. Do away with the campus police, but guess what? That means you're going to have to have more of a local police presence on your campus. And do you know why you're going to have to have that? Because you have a community on your campus that needs to be policed. Students are not the only people on your campus, unfortunately. That's been part of the problem. You've got non-students visiting the campus and getting up to, well, shenanigans, we'll call it. It's is ridiculous to think that these little mushed-brained, indoctrinated children have fallen so far off this that they believe that they're leading a revolution. They believe that they're doing the right thing for the people on their campus, and they don't have enough sense to realize that they're setting themselves up for failure, that they're setting themselves up to become victims because – Guess what, children? That's what the left, the globalist left elite, is trying to do to you. They're trying to set you up to be their victim. But before they get a clear shot at you, some criminal is going to come along and do some criminal thing. And guess what happens when there is no reasonable expectation of resistance? It emboldens the criminal. It increases the criminal behavior. It paints targets on your fellow students that simply were not there before. But hey, what do I know? I'm just some white cis hetero. Okay, so the fix reported that the student government members who voted against the first resolution were also uh, – they faced harassment. They faced threats. Uh, all this coming from non-white members getting messages that they were all traitors to the race, meaning that some of the non-white people that also voted against the uh, disarming of the campus police received threats. After weeks of intimidation… And then later, the removal of student government members using little-known and never-enforced procedures. The resolution narrowly passed with some members leaving the room to get the number of members below a quorum. Members of the student government who were attacked for opposing the anti-police resolution wrote a letter to the editor of the campus newspaper, the Cornell Sun, calling the actions against them authoritarian. And that's being rather polite from what I've seen. Quote, these actions are undemocratic, authoritarian, and a flagrant abuse of the essay's rules and procedures. It goes without saying that these efforts are unprecedented. A vocal minority of the SA who believe everyone must think as they do has attempted to strip power from anyone who disagrees with them and browbeat them into silence. Their actions have created a hostile, toxic, 
an untenable atmosphere within the SA, hampering its ability to function and causing unnecessary anxiety and emotional distress to its members. But I have to ask, is that even true? Is that really the case? Is, is this the creation? The Cornell University Student Assembly, you're being taken over. You're being booted out. You're being treated that your voice doesn't matter. Now, the people that are doing this are going to come around and they're going to say, see how it feels? This is what it's like. This is the life we've lived for hundreds of years. Uh, That being completely false, by the way. The students that are trying to do this to their fellow students are doing so because they are so adherent, religiously adherent to political philosophy that cannot permit the sharing of an opposing viewpoint. (laughs) The sharing of that opposing viewpoint represents a systemic and quintessential, existential, resistential threat to their very existence. But does it? Has even one of these people asked the question to themselves after having been indoctrinated into this belief? Have they ever asked the question to themselves, does this represent an existential threat to me? Are these individual, particular, specific white people trying, and and the non-white people that sided with them, I'll, I'll throw in too, are they trying to mitigate your ability to function as a member of the student assembly? Are they trying to somehow marginalize you? Or are they simply sharing the campus and trying to do the same thing you are? Now, I don't know to what extent this student assembly uh, is considered taken seriously by the administration. I would assume probably more than it should be. Clearly, their effort to to do this type of uh, student body legislation, if you will, uh, will not be the, uh, the determining factor one way or another. But I would imagine, uh, assuming, uh, which is what I'm doing, and we all know what happens when you assume, but uh, uh, assuming that the Cornell campus is much like other campuses with their reputation, uh, being extremely left-leaning and uh, being extremely on the side of letting the uh, inmates run the asylum kind of uh, mindset, it's entirely possible that not only will they allow this blatant abuse of uh, what authority they managed to have to stand rather than try to correct it, but they'll probably give credence to this effort. And they will just assume themselves that because that's what the students want, that it will make the campus safer. There'll be fewer firearms on the campus. No, there'll be fewer firearms in the hands of individuals that have taken an oath and will make the effort to maintain law and order on the campus. There will still be 
a similar, if not much, much larger number of firearms in the hands of individuals who have come onto the campus only to commit criminal behavior. You haven't made your campus safer if you give in to this. You have done the exact opposite. Not that it matters. Now, as shameful as that is, now you may be asking, what what does that matter to me, Tim? I don't go to Cornell University. I don't have a child that goes there. I don't work for the university. I, why should I care about this? You should care because this is the mindset that people are carrying into government now. This is the same mindset held by people like, I don't know, let's say the squad. I had two quick hitters about members of the squad where I'm actually finding myself having to agree with them. It's very uncomfortable. It is extremely uncomfortable to say uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. See, see how uncomfortable it is? Now I can't even make myself say it. It's extremely uncomfortable to say that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is absolutely right. About something. Now, what is she absolutely right about? Well, she's absolutely right about the fact that the way Congress handled the COVID relief bill and the continuing resolution, the big omnibus spending package, and even the defense spending package, the way they handled it is just wrong. She was complaining. She took to Twitter because, of course, that's what she does. And she was complaining that here we go. Much like Mike Lee did. I mean, Mike Lee said basically the same thing, only Mike Lee voted against, whereas Ocasio-Cortez went ahead and voted for. But she did say that it uh, is impossible to read the bills when they're handed to you in this huge format with only a little bit of time to look at them before you have to vote. Now, that's the way the people that are conducting business now want it done because uh, it, it all started when we took away the earmarks. Well, we're not allowed to do earmarks in these bills anymore. Well, we'll find a way. So then uh, we had them adding amendments that essentially were still doing the earmarks into the bills, but they were added on as amendments, some level of sunlight being shined on them, right? So some of these amendments uh, being offered up according to the parliamentary rules – uh, would be seen, and people would be like, if we can't do that, that's not related to what this bill's about. Enough people would see it, would be done with it, and ah, it's done. So some of the amendments wouldn't be passed through, even if it meant they lost a few votes. But now they like to do this last second. We've only got three hours left to make something happen. Ha ha, we reached a deal. Here it is. Now let's vote. <coughs> Excuse me. So AOC said, I don't like this. This is wrong. Not only do the representatives of the people not have the opportunity to vet this bill, read through this bill, see what is in this bill, because you know, AOC didn't get Nancy Pelosi's memo a little while back. You know, we, we've got to pass the bill to find out what's in the bill, right? Well, evidently, AOC thinks that that's not a good thing. So you can imagine how I feel. 
I'm in complete agreement with AOC. But AOC went on and made another point, an additional point that was an even better point because she also pointed out that there was no time for the public to find out what's in these bills. There was no time, no reasonable amount of time for the public, the constituents, the people that Congress is there to represent, to look at, to absorb, to understand, and then to let their representatives and or senators know how they felt about it. It's simply a, well, you're going to get some free money. All right, let's do it. Boom. I mean, honestly, that's where the extent of this came from somebody said okay well we we've negotiated and we're going to send out uh, direct money again it's only going to be six hundred dollars per person in, in these families uh and still a ton of lies and well let's call it disinformation let's try to be a little and by us i mean me uh, let me try to be a little um What's, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, diplomatic. Let me try to be a little diplomatic here. A lot of misinformation going around social media uh, where they're jumbling up uh, the multiple bills that actually passed and trying to say that the COVID relief includes stuff that's in the defense bill and that uh, uh, the defense bill included stuff that's in the omnibus package. But there's a lot of crazy stuff in all of them. None of which are things that the federal government should be paying for in the first place, and you can make a pretty strong argument right now that the direct payments aren't even something that the federal government should be doing because people who are in the states that are opened up and ready and full blast for business, uh, we're seeing uh, a lot of COVID, but we're seeing folks that are working, particularly low unemployment. We don't need that extra money, and so that seems to me like a problem for the states that are shut down. Why do you expect North Dakota to bail out California? Why do you expect Nebraska to bail out New York? Why do you expect Florida to bail out Illinois? Why? When all they had to do was open up the same as the other states did. Oh, don't you care about people, Tim? People would be dying left and right. Well, they keep telling us people are dying left and right as it is. They keep telling us that nobody's surviving. It's an apocalypse out there. They keep telling us the reason that the flu, the influenza, is down is because so many people are wearing masks and socially distancing. And then in the same breath, turn around and tell us, oh, but by the way, the reason there's still so much COVID is because people aren't wearing masks and social distancing. So which one is the case? Which one is true? I, can, it, can it be both? Isn't that literally the opposite? Sorry. I mean how is, how is Dr. Fauci still even looked at as an expert from, by anyone when he's literally flip-flopped on every single statement he's ever made, including, oh yeah, by the way, the new UK uh, variant of COVID is so much crazier, easily spread. But you know what? We probably shouldn't shut down travel from the UK into the United States. That would probably be an overreaction. Now, we can't allow travel. We cannot absolutely, positively cannot allow travel from Florida to New York, from Georgia to California. We can't. Those, those folks from Tennessee sure as heck better not show up in Illinois. That's not allowed, says Dr. Fauci, but it's probably okay. 
again, Dr. Fauci says that was probably be an overreaction if we said, sorry, people from London who tried to escape before the, the full-on lockdown. No way to go, Boris. It's probably an overreaction if we were to say, hey, guys, you know what? Maybe you ought to just stay over there. France did it. Doesn't matter. Belgium did it. Germany did it. Doesn't matter. So what you're saying is just like when people were coming straight from China, that's xenophobic and racist, but where's, where's the disconnect? I don't understand it. Do you just can somebody explain to me how Dr. Fauci is still taken seriously by anybody? He's literally all over the place. He has literally taken every single position possible. First, absolutely positively, do not wear masks. They don't work anyway. Then, absolutely positively, everybody should wear masks, and we should be wearing masks until 2022, at least, probably longer. First, we can travel. Then you can't travel. Hey, uh, gatherings of 25 are okay. Gatherings of uh, 10 are okay. Gatherings of 4 are okay. Everything's canceled. Stay away from everybody. But I've already hung up. Doesn't matter. So that's the first bit from the squad that made me very uncomfortable because, as you know, AOC, please, why am I, why am I with the AOC thing? But then the other thing that happened from another member of the squad that also makes me feel very uncomfortable to be agreeing with is Representative Ilhan Omar. Well, she literally took a shot at her squad member uh, compatriots uh, and other politicians in general who cut the line, if you will, in getting the uh, vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine, before it's been adequately distributed to frontline workers and the elderly. Seemingly among the politicians in Omar's crosshairs included fellow squad member Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who broadcast her vaccine shot on Instagram just a day earlier. So at 31 years old, and seemingly in pretty good health, uh, Ocasio-Cortez is not exactly in the high-risk category. Now, Nancy Pelosi getting uh, the vaccine? Um, okay, she's up there a little bit, probably in that range that it makes sense to prioritize her. Not because she's the Speaker of the House and you're concerned about continuity of government, although I'm sure that's part of the argument she would make, but mostly because she's – kind of up there, and presumably she would like to avoid getting COVID uh, just because that's one of the age groups, one of the, one of the individual groups where you might be more susceptible. Mitch McConnell, also not exactly a spring chicken. Joe Biden, a definitely not a spring chicken and probably should have been getting some type of cocktail to help cognitive uh, repair as well. So to see these people taking uh, the vaccine, uh, assuming that's what they've done, I heard plenty of tinfoil hat theories that uh, uh, it's completely different and blah, blah, blah. Nancy, look at Nancy Pelosi. She didn't even take the cap off. Uh, have, have you never gotten a shot? I, I've gotten like three or four now, uh, the last little bit. Shots where the, 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 the sharp, that's just referred to in the medical profession, uh, which is the needle part, the part that does the sticky – never comes out until they push the syringe. So then it just 
makes it it's an additional effort to try and provide a level of safety to the individual. There's a reason why they handle sharps the way they do anyway, trying to prevent cross uh, contact uh, in the event that somebody has something and accidentally introduces a uh, negative thing to you in the process of trying to administer medications or in this case a vaccine. That's what they administered hers with and several other people. Depending on having this done at several medical uh, establishments, that's all they use now. And within the next two to five years, that will probably be all that's used, period, across the board. It's just some of these facilities have not phased out the old school sharps yet. But uh, quoting here, liberal politico uh, <laughs> Anna Don Gerda Herdis, I think. I, I, I'm sorry, dude. I, I'm really not uh, trying to butcher your name. But he asked the question. It's saying, quote, serious question. Is seemingly our entire top political leadership getting the vaccine ahead of others because of their age or their importance? Uh, that's the question. Now, clearly, when you see somebody like AOC getting the, uh, the vaccine, uh, that's not because of her age. Not really certain you can make much of an argument for her importance. Yes, she's a member of the House. Uh, there's a lot of members in the House. She's not in the leadership. She's not the speaker where you can actually say uh, continuity of government would be affected. I hate to have to say that about Nancy Pelosi, but uh, anyway, Omar literally blasted saying it would make sense if it was age, but unfortunately, it's of importance, and it's shameful. We are not more important than frontline workers, teachers, etc., who are making sacrifices every day. Now, I get that she was simply uh, trying to pander a little bit to some of the voting base. And make no mistake, that is what this is. But she's still right when she says that they, as members of the House, especially non-leadership members of the House, are of no more import than any other life in America and should be prioritized in the same way as the others. Now, again, as people like AOC and others are going to stop and say – uh, well, you know, it's important for us to model the behaviors. We we are role models. We are leaders in our community. We have to we have to 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 show people that they can take this. They don't have to be afraid of it. Whereas, I'm sorry, but the folks that are still dead set against taking it and who believe some various different things about this vaccine, they're not going to be believing. That that's what you're actually getting anyway. So model, model away. You're not going to convince anyone, and the people who don't like you, uh, they're not going to be swayed by you. The people who do like you, they're not going to be swayed either, because they are, they're already sycophantic uh, in belief and doing what uh, they've been told to do. Uh, the sheeple who follow you will follow you. Uh, those who do not uh, take your words to be of much merit are not going to be swayed by any 
type of behavior that you model because you've already modeled the most important part of your behavior already, uh, your refusal to acknowledge that socialism is a bad thing. And that is the important thing to keep in mind. All right, I have whoa, I've actually blew a lot further past the the mid-hour break than I had thought. So let me go ahead and uh, hit that uh, that mid-hour break as I should, and I'll be right back on the other side where I'm going to sneak in one more topic in this uh, part of the show uh, before we address what transpired in the uh, the uh, the I don't even know what to call it feverish actions of Congress. I guess that's a good way to put it. I, I'm, I, I'm open to suggestions. But anyway, you guys stay right where you're at. I'll be right back on the other side. a man who worked very hard to provide for his family, but times were tough. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, one Christmas, the man's five-year-old daughter used all of the family's gold wrapping paper for one shoebox that she placed under the family tree. Money was tight, so the struggling dad wondered where the daughter got the money to buy whatever was in that shoebox. Nevertheless, Christmas morning, the little girl filled with excitement brought the gift box to her father. As he opened the box, the dad became angry and said, Don't you know, when you give someone a present, there should be something in the package. The little girl, with tears rolling down her cheeks, whispered, Daddy, it's not empty. I blew kisses into it until it was full. The father was crushed and begged his precious daughter to forgive him for his unnecessary anger. An accident took the life of the child a short time later. It is told that the father kept the little box by his bed all the days of his life. Whenever he was discouraged, he would open the box, take out an imaginary kiss, and remember the love of his beautiful child who put it there. In a real sense, each of us has been given an invisible golden box filled with unconditional love from family, friends, and most of all, God, who gave us his son. Merry Christmas, America. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Dan Perkins with your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. Are you looking for a job because you got laid off because of the coronavirus? Most veterans think that the GI Bill can only be used for college, but that's not true. It can also be used for retraining programs. So if you're out of work and looking for a new career, go to the VA.gov and look at the GI Bill benefits. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day.
right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. Uh, hope you're enjoying the sounds of the season. I hope it's having a, a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a festive Festivus, and whatever else you might be celebrating. Shoot, I'm not even going to give you grief today if you celebrate Kwanzaa. I We'll do that the rest of the year, and we'll immediately start after. But consider that my Christmas gift to you guys. Uh, although, seriously, completely made up, guys. Where do you get this stuff? Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I said I wasn't going to give you a grip, didn't I? I am here to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that it is indeed uh, that time of year, and I'd like to ask you to consider the uh, the reason for the season, if you will. And if you can't muster that, if you if you happen to be uh, agnostic, or if you happen to just despise religion, or maybe just hate Christians and Jews and uh, people who generally are. Uh, trying to be happy while you're miserable, whatever your uh, malfunction may be, uh, try to try to understand that uh, when folks are trying to send a little goodwill your way, maybe maybe it's okay to just if it bothers you in some way to just kind of let it go instead of you know being a Karen. Okay, uh, no Karens. It's Christmas. No Karens in, during Christmas. Uh, that should be a rule or something. <laughs> All right. So uh, here we are, as uh, we often are. I would like to take another quick moment to remind you uh, that uh, even though it's been a crazy year and a lot of folks are struggling, uh, absolutely struggling, if you're in a position where you can be supportive uh, financially or if all you can afford is to maybe send an email or send an electronic or something uh, that works too. Please let the radio station that uh, you're listening to, if you're listening to a radio station right now, if you're hearing the rebroadcast of the show, please show them some love, send them some support, let them know uh, what programming you're liking, uh, let them know which ones you're not liking, uh, let them know you appreciate what they've done to this point because some of them are going to be changing formats anyway. It's already a done deal, but let them know you've appreciated what they've done to this point, uh, all those things. And, you know, I hate to to even mention it because I like to think of myself more of a giver. But if you'd like to make a contribution to this show to to help me keep going, as things are looking very different right now going into next year, uh, you can go to tapintothetruth.com, and uh, there are links there that uh, a couple of push buttons where you can just send a direct PayPal contribution if you like, and uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, but with that being said, hey, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, all that stuff. Let's let's enjoy the holiday season rather than let politics bring us down. And it's really hard if you follow politics the way a lot of us do to not let it get you down because it, it is intended to do exactly that. There are per- certain people right now that are playing the game, and that's all they're doing. People like Nancy Pelosi, for example. Just playing the game and trying to convince her supporters that she's winning, despite the fact that she's really not. Now, how can you say that, Tim? She keeps getting reelected. She keeps being voted back in as speaker. She keeps getting everything she wants. But does she? Does she really? I mean, she she gave in just a little bit on this uh, COVID relief package by taking a, a bill that was less than half the size of the most recent offer previous 
before the election. And she did that quite clearly. She admitted it wasn't about to happen while Donald Trump was clearly uh, going to be the president. As soon as she thought Donald Trump was no longer going to be the president, then all of a sudden, yeah, we can take less because guess what? We're immediately going to start working on passing more stuff for all of our pet projects. And with the potential of Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or whoever might be actually pulling the strings behind the scenes, with with those people being in charge, we're going to get a lot more of what we want, especially if they let us cheat in Georgia like we managed to do in the general election just a few weeks ago. Yeah, that's right. I said cheat. Well, this past Sunday… Speaking to the press, Miss Nancy Mimi Pelosi said that most of the deaths in the United States of America from coronavirus were directly President Donald J. Trump's fault. Now, a reporter had asked the question, quote, given all the demand still out there that you've talked about, how large a package would you like to see President-elect Biden introduce next year as president, and how much money for state and local aid do you think should be in that package? Now, the correct answer, if Nancy Pelosi wasn't a political hack and a leftist, should be none, zero, the states don't need it. The answer should be the states that I'm trying to send the money to are states that were poorly managed before, that were headed towards bankruptcy before, had nothing to do with COVID, had nothing to do with the shutdowns. That's just our cover. And now we demand that the states were actually managing their budgets correctly bail us out. That's what the answer should be. But no, no, not where we're going to get. Pelosi said, well… We'll make a judgment all the time about what the needs are. I think that when you see the surge and the coronavirus, you know that we cannot just think it over or that we can ignore it. The denial, the delay, the distortion, the calling it a hoax has caused hundreds of thousands of deaths, not all of them attributed to President Trump, but most of them that could have been avoided. I'm going to stop there. She said more. Most of it just is appalling. And it is appalling because, first of all, again, she's lying. Donald J. Trump never said COVID was a hoax. He said repeatedly, uh, enough so that there shouldn't be any confusion over it, that the way the media was covering COVID-19 was the hoax. Basically, just a different way of him trying to say it's fake news, and it was because they literally went from the uh, move along, nothing to see here to, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. Lock everything down so we can take control. Oops, didn't mean to say that last part out loud. That's literally where they went to and still are. They're still trying to make the narrative viable. Uh, They're still trying to get the American public to panic now about the new variant from the U.K., No, it's going to get you 70 times faster than the other kind was going to get you. So do as we say. Keep doing what we say. The delay, the denial, the distortion. Again, 
the only distortion Donald Trump was guilty of when it comes to uh, the earliest days of the COVID reporting was the fact that he was extremely optimistic. He was over-the-top optimistic, and he tried to downplay it. Uh, some might reasonably make a case that may be too much. But it came from a place of understanding that he didn't want the general public to panic. He didn't want exactly what the media and the Democrats did want. Full-blown, across-the-board panic porn. If it bleeds, it leads. If it's scary, it sells, and that's what we're doing. We're promoting, we're promoting, we're promoting. We're getting clicks. We're getting views. We're getting likes. And more importantly, we're getting inside your tiny little brains and making you think that you should be afraid. Be very, very afraid. And be afraid, most of all, of the orange man who's bad. Now, Chief, who's in the chat room right now uh, here at BTR, has said a multitude of times on his own show and as a guest here, and he's written multiple times in uh, various chat rooms. Uh, I know he's said it when he's been visiting and calling into other shows as well, that, uh, that Donald Trump was very cautious about how hard he really wanted to go after people like Barack Obama and even Hillary Clinton uh, to a lesser degree because first and foremost, nobody wants to set the precedent of going after a former president for criminal offenses. Nobody wants to do that because within the modern age, there's been a few former presidents who could have very, very easily ended up spending some prison time had it been pursued, but it was merely dropped as soon as they left office. And a lot of folks like myself have often lamented the fact that there seems to be no real accountability. If you do something knowingly wrong, you should face some accountability. But I'm going to go on a limb here and say that that too has changed. I do believe he's absolutely right in the past, that that has always been the mindset, that uh, it's good enough to resign. It's good to just go away. Now, it shouldn't be, but it always has been because it's way too easy once you've done it to turn it also into a political weapon. That's always been the double-edged sword. Every single thing that we have put in as a protection can be used by the enemy. Every single thing that we do to try to uh, make sure that our elections can be uh, free and, and clear of uh, unnecessary outside influence, everything that we put in place can be manipulated into guaranteeing those things. If you're smart, know how to do it, keep your fingerprints off of everything, that's what we've seen happen this last go-round. They've been practicing it for a long time. They've been figuring out how to game the system. They've been figuring out uh, what percentage of cheating they can do this way, what percentage of cheating they can do a different way. At what point does it trigger somebody actually being held accountable? They've been playing these games for a while, and these reindeer games need to come to an end. The same as omnibus spending needs to come to an end, but it's not going to until we demand it. Nancy Pelosi is now trying to set the same stage that a few other people have tried to throw out there, trying to say that Donald J. Trump should be personally responsible, should be charged for, at the very least, negligent homicide. At the very least, negligent manslaughter. 
for doing exactly the same things that they themselves have said they would have done, for doing things, taking steps before they would have done it. He was trying to cut off uh, travel from China at the same time that Nancy Pelosi was literally in front of TV cameras telling people to come down to Chinatown. Let's get out. Let's have a party. Woo! You don't have to worry about this. It's no different than the flu. That's who started saying it wasn't conservatives that started saying that business. Most conservatives were like, uh, what's going on in China now? Because we're smart enough to know that China is an existential threat. China is the current existential threat. Russia is still a problem, but China is the threat. Global warming, Tim. Global – no, China. Say it with me, boys and girls. China. Yeah, but Nancy Pelosi and, – and don't put it past these people because remember one thing Donald Trump has that none of the previous uh, modern presidents have. He was never part of their little club. He was truly a political outsider, and he dared to challenge the status quo. He almost mucked it up for all the swamp dwellers, and they would love to send a strong message to the next person to come along who thinks they might want to give that a try. So let's see how much more rhetoric of that uh, type comes along. And it would not surprise me if that long-standing tradition doesn't end with Donald Trump being the first charged. All right, so I'm looking at uh, at the fact that I'm almost out of time in this first hour. And since most of the people that listen to this uh, rebroadcasted on great radio stations across the country usually get this uh, exactly an hour at a time, I'm going to go ahead and reset the hour. So for those of you that I'm about to say goodbye to, uh, I want to remind you, please, please remember, uh, I don't ask a whole lot of you. It seems to be a lot for some, but whatever you heard me say, do not take my word for it. Please do not take the other guy's word for it. Be prepared to put in a little effort and more importantly to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And I mean, want to stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, be smart even if it kind of goes against your nature. For those of you that are here at uh, Blog Talk Radio, stay right where you're at. Hour number two starts after this. In the meanwhile, for those of you that I'm saying goodbye to, uh, bye for now, and uh, stay safe out there.
Because the foreign wars we wage More to do with the colors blue and red You said you lost too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread Right across the border Politicians build a new world order Too many minds are convinced they should be led I've got to be free The way God made sense And I won't be ruled by the dancing wind Taking your rights to self-defense They say you're safe but they don't make sense Today's broadcast of Tap into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. And I also hope that you're having a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, whatever, uh, festive, festivus, uh, whatever you may be celebrating. Hope you're enjoying this holiday season and uh, hopefully uh, the coming new year will be better than the past one was. And uh, glad to have you here. I, of course, am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap Committee, live from historic Roan County, Tennessee, and uh, definitely, definitely trying desperately uh, to hang on to the uh, Christmas spirit. But uh, the more I pay attention to the world of politics, the harder that seems to be. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you feel the same. So I don't normally encourage people to kind of tune out to the noise of just the political reindeer games. But uh, as we get to Thursday and Friday of this week, eh, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea. Let's focus on the holidays. Now... Uh, what do we got here? Da 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 da. Got the uh, the BTR chat room up and going, and of course, uh, just join us is a crazy Cajun who's uh, hopped in. Uh, hey Cajun, glad to see you. Missed you the last couple of uh, episodes. Uh, New Orleans wake up uh, slid in just as we were transitioning into this second hour. 
And of course, uh, Chief, host of Simple Facts of Life, has been here for uh, the entirety of the broadcast. And for those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast on Terrestrial Radio, for your benefit, this is indeed the second hour of a two-hour live broadcast. And that live broadcast occurred on December 22nd. It is 2020, and it's a few brief moments after 8 p.m. Eastern. Now, New Orleans started out uh, here in the chat room uh, putting up this uh, two points, Tim. Since the China virus has killed more Americans than Iranians have, why hasn't your President Trump bombed China? And if you believe that the pandemic and COVID is a hoax, then you go to the ICUs in the hospitals with no protection. And as COVID patients uh, to breathe and cough on you to prove it's a hoax. All right. I don't recall ever saying that it was a hoax. I do recall saying that it has an extremely low fatality rate. I do recall saying that the standards that the CDC has established for counting COVID deaths includes anyone who's died that had tested positive within the last six months of their passing, meaning that they could have completely recovered from COVID as something else killed them, and they'll still be counted. So I have criticized the, the, way, it's, the way the stats are put together. I've criticized the overreaction of politicians. Uh, I have made those statements, but I don't think I've ever said that COVID is a hoax. As far as uh, President Trump bombing China, well, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that uh, Trump has made it his primary effort to try to defuse military entanglements and to try and remove us from military entanglements. I believe his own words is end the endless wars, uh, which is something that folks on the left used to applaud until it was Donald Trump that was actually moving in any serious uh, way in that direction. But you now that's just that. COVID is the number one killer of Americans surpassing cancer and heart disease. Well, yeah, if you count every death in the country as COVID, uh, yeah, it's real easy to get that spot. New Orleans. Look, name one person who has died of just COVID that had was completely healthy other than having gotten the COVID. And tell me one. If you can find one and you can verify it, then I will say, okay, there's one. Where do you get the several hundred thousand others that keep being claimed? I'm sorry. If you died of COVID because you got gunshot, I'm having trouble believing that should be counted. If you were in a motorcycle wreck, but you still died of COVID, I'm having trouble believing that it was COVID that killed you. And I think any reasonable person would feel the same. But that's the key word, isn't it? Reasonable person. And as far as your comment about killing Iranians, uh, I seem to recall he killed a Iranian general who was actively involved with terroristic activities against American soldiers uh, and other American citizens at that as well. So, um, you know, if you're already at war with us, sometimes a uh, proactive approach saves a heck of a lot more lives uh, than are harmed. Uh, that's a calculus that uh, folks on the left have been making for a long time too. 
So I, I'm not going to sit here and spend the rest of my time here uh, going down this big long list of whatever else you want to go down. Just understand that, yeah, you can nitpick, you can cherry pick, and, and you can spin, 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 but there is still a large amount of denial of reality uh, when you go down the path that you're going right now, New Orleans. But hey, Merry Christmas, and uh, believe it or not, I am happy you're here and with us just as long as you direct that stuff towards me and uh, play nice with the folks in the chat room, then it's all good, and Merry Christmas. All right. Now, something I did want to get to, wanted to address this, and I, and I was torn as to whether to address this in the first hour or not, but I thought as we moved towards more serious uh, topics uh, that this probably belonged uh, in the second hour. And uh, that's the fact that uh, Oregon State Police declared an unlawful assembly at the Capitol in Salem this past Monday morning after several protesters opposing the COVID-19 restrictions stormed the state house, including some who demanded that the Democratic governor, Kate Brown, be apprehended. Now, according to Oregon Public Broadcasting… They said, quote, police officers donned gas masks as they squared off with protesters, some of whom carried firearms and bear spray, and many of whom were not wearing masks. Ooh, those nasty little protesters. <coughs> How dare they? Anyway, the outlet also reported that a growing number of protesters pushed their way through the Capitol doors, chanting, let us in and arrest Kate Brown. So protesting, thought that was allowed. Um, it's in Oregon, one of the big defund the police states. Uh, I, I, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't they really on board with that? wonder if Kate Brown or any of the folks working in the state capitol building at that point would have liked for those state police to have been disarmed. Because it sounds like they were in a pretty scary situation. Now, the building, of course, was closed to the public due to the pandemic as lawmakers took part in a special legislative session inside. Although part of the mob gained entry, they were contained, and uh, about 100 protesters entered the lobby. That's according to the Daily Beast. Now, what's the big deal, you may say? Well, clearly you can't come into this very public building that belongs to the taxpayers of the state uh, because of COVID. Tina Koltek, a Democrat from Portland, made the statement that, quote, we will be examining the footage around the doors. Someone let in unauthorized personnel. That's serious. Images from the scene, which can be easily found on the internet, uh, showed several people kicking the door on the building's west side. Troopers said they broke the glass but did not enter through that opening. So the troopers were doing their jobs as it was assigned to them to try and keep these people out. The Oregonian said that the assembly was part of a non-permitted flash mob. Uh, I would say not that dissimilar to Antifa or BLM. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, this non-permitted flash mob was endorsed by the Patriot Prayer Group, which the outlet described as a right-wing group. 
Yeah, because everybody knows that if you love your country and believe in the power of prayer, that automatically makes you a right-winger. Because, what, there's no faith on the left anymore? At least not that requires prayer? Is that the inclination? Because that's not me saying that. That's me asking the question. Are we supposed to just assume that if you love America and believe in the power of prayer, that automatically makes you a right-winger? Because that's what they're saying. Yeah, but then again, Tim, well, I should know better. It's the media, right? So hundreds of protesters had descended on the Capitol. They were there to express their displeasure with the strict statewide orders that have been promoted as coronavirus mitigation strategies. And still the lawmakers went on to approve four separate bills, which included an $800 million relief package, uh, extended an extension moratorium, an eviction moratorium, and uh, a provision legalizing cocktails to go to help struggling restaurants and bars. So, hey, some good came out of their stay there. The state troopers reportedly said officers had been sprayed with some kind of chemical agent. I'm assuming that's the bear repellent that we heard about earlier. And as the Oregonian reported, four protesters were arrested, but none remained in jail on Tuesday morning. That would be today, time of the live broadcast, according to the inmate roster. So how rowdy did this really get? A journalist with the uh, Salem Reporter said that she was shoved multiple times by one of the demonstrators. Well, that's not nice. Don't want to sound like I'm encouraging that kind of behavior because it's not. If you're there to protest, if you're there to make a point, okay, make your point. Now, storming the building seems a little extreme, but when people get frustrated, uh, they do uh, things that are a little outside of the norm, don't they? I mean we've been led to believe that we're supposed to just uh, step back and take it when Antifa is on the streets and breaking things that don't belong to them and smashing buildings and setting the buildings on fire and attacking old people who are just trying to walk by on a street that they mistakenly believe was a public street. We're supposed to just assume that uh, it's okay. For people to take to the streets and do all kinds of shenanigans because of their frustration. But when law-abiding citizens, or at least normally law-abiding citizens, have had their fill with elected officials that they themselves probably did not vote for, or even more frustrating, some of them did vote for because they mistakenly believed the horse manure – that has been perpetrated as promises made by certain left-leaning political office holders. I voted for you because I believed you when you said you were for the little guy. I voted for you because I believed you when you said you were there to help me, that you were there to work for me, that you were going to do these things. And then as soon as you took office, you literally started taking everything away from me. And I didn't realize it at first. I didn't see it at first because you hid it behind pretty sounding words. You know, the same game that the left always plays. The, the little 
semantical game where they'll try to sell you affordable health care by making it completely and totally unaffordable unless it's completely paid for by the government. When they try to tell you that this is the CARES Act because we care about you, uh, when they turn around later and prove that we only care about you when we think it helps our election chances. We can't do the work of the people because you people don't deserve our time. You don't deserve our effort. We're so much more important than you. AOC, front of the line to get the COVID vaccine. Why? Again, I get Donald Trump doesn't need it. He recently had it. He should still have working antibodies. Uh, Joe Biden got it, did it on TV. Okay. Mitch McConnell gets it on TV. Uh, Nancy Pelosi does it on it. Yeah, these people are in that older age group. Plus, there's still the whole, including with Mike Pence, the whole continuity of government thing. I know that they say that, but that shouldn't be a factor for this. Really should. The fact that they're in that age group that makes it dangerous, that's fine. But anyway, I digress. Back to this. Okay. So the Statesman's Journal, Statesman Journal, quoted pollster David Klaus, who reportedly said that the action had accomplished two very important things. Now, again, we're talking about storming the Capitol building. We put the fear of God in the citizens of our state. They know we're not messing around anymore. Okay, is that who you should be trying to scare? Number two, we shamed the traitorous law enforcement officers that kept us out of our house. They made their choice today. What happens next is on them. Okay, you see, I don't think that's, I don't think that's helpful. I am okay you have it. Your protest, demonstration, I'm even okay with you ignoring permits. And I'm okay with that because the other guys have been okay with allowing the folks that are protesting that agree with them politically. They've been okay with them not needing permits. They've been okay with defending them. They've been okay with saying, hey, it's all right to punch a Nazi because the Nazi's a monster. Despite the fact that most of the people that these folks are out there punching are not Nazis, and some of them are actually leftist fellow travelers who just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. How many times have I been on this show over the course of the last two summers telling you about the delicious irony of uh, little wussy Antifa people that attack somebody, and as it turned out, the people they attacked were full-blown leftists themselves? They just look for weak targets. When you think of it in that term, it's amazing that they don't uh, take out more of their own side, not realizing. You don't want to put the fear of God into the citizens of the state. You want to put the fear of God into the elected officials who think they have more control over you than they actually should be allowed to have. That should be the focus. And I'm sorry, it's not about shaming police officers. Now, granted, these so-called law enforcement should indeed be making the right choice. They should be erring on the side of the Constitution. But when you show up in that fashion and then you start trying to break your way into a building, 
that does kind of make you look like the bad guy. And I'm willing to make any argument that that is the people's house, and you as citizens of that state have every right to move about it as freely within reason as possible. But when you take that extra step, be prepared for what happens because as I have said oftentimes about the folks on the left, and as I've said to my children multiple times, the thing about this life is you can literally do absolutely anything that you want to do. Anything. doesn't matter what. You can do it as long as you're prepared to live with the consequences. And there will be consequences. There should be consequences. And more people should be expected to live with the consequences. Way too many people, especially in the realm of the political, get away with facing zero consequences. That's the part that should be. Uh, addressed. That's the folks who should have the fear of God put into them. They should understand that they are going to be held accountable. And they should also understand that they have gotten a lot of folks to a boiling point, and if they're so concerned about de-escalating with certain groups, maybe they should be equally concerned or maybe even more concerned about de-escalating with the groups that might actually be able to cause some real damage. Because Antifa, for all its hopes and dreams and aspirations, you rile up enough rednecks with enough ammunition, that's where real trouble is going to happen. Those are the folks you shouldn't be appeasing either. But if you're concerned about de-escalation, maybe you ought to think about what brings a de-escalation there because that's where the trouble really starts. And you wouldn't even have to be – you know what would de-escalate that group? If you started at least acting like you cared what these people thought and felt. If you started at least acting like you're going to take them equally into consideration as you are any other group. If you started enforcing the laws as they exist when it comes to other groups that you're trying to protect. You get upset that somebody have a permit. Be upset that none of these people have a permit. Treat them the same, and suddenly you're not going to have that nearly boiling over could have gotten very dangerous situation. I don't see why that's so hard to understand. I don't get why that's difficult to wrap your mind around. But then again, we live in a time now where everybody wants to silence someone that you don't agree with. No, I don't. I, I like people speaking their mind. I don't have to like what they're saying, but it reveals who they are, and it lets you know who they are. So you know if this is the kind of person that uh, you want to have a friendship with. If this is the kind of person that you need to make sure that you never respond to a friend request on social media or follow or whatever platform you may be on, these are the things that reveal who these folks are. There's very little question about who I am. All you have to do is listen to a few of these shows. You get a pretty good idea, and then either you're okay with it or you're not, and that's fine. 
I don't come on here expecting everybody to agree with me. I don't expect every conservative or every Christian to agree with me. I know that's not going to happen. Most reasonable, rational Americans of any ilk understand that that's the same thing with however they feel. And you can keep trying to make whatever arguments you want to. You can keep trying to stir up whatever trouble you want to. But if that's all you're going to manage to do, if that's your fun, then you're just as much a part of the problem as is Nancy Pelosi, as is Chuck Schumer, as is uh, barely there Beijing Biden, who is still insisting that uh, the allegations against Hunter are all part of Russian disinformation, even though – uh, the allegations against Hunter are part of a long-standing probe that started before Trump took over. And that's the other little secret. Even the few people in the legacy media that acknowledge that Hunter Biden has admitted the probe exists and that he knew he was under investigation, uh, nobody's talking about when the first of these investigations started. Spoiler, before Trump became president. Not not that long before, so hmm, doing a little math. All right. So Rand Paul, he said some things. It got some attention, kind of went viral. He let loose on the Senate floor this past Monday, blasting the 5,593-page, $2.3 trillion COVID-19 relief and catch-all spending bills. Because, you know, again, it wasn't just the COVID relief that passed, although some folks are trying to convolute them all together, trying to say that they're all part of it. No, no, there was a defense spending bill and then the omnibus uh, continuing resolution bill that also made its way through at the same time, but uh, not all of this spending is part of the same stuff. But Rand Paul said some important stuff, actually. He said, quote, to so-called conservatives who are quick to identify the socialism of Democrats, if you vote for this spending monstrosity, you're no better. Did that have power? Did that have impact? Well, it wasn't enough to change anybody's votes. I mean, here he is, his speech coming from the Senate, coming as the Senate was preparing to vote on the $900 billion corona relief package, along with the $1.4 trillion omnibus bill. Paul said that the government is not in the business of providing free money. Shouldn't be. So that the only thing that can save us is opening the economy. Uh, he's right. Made one of the most cognitive points that I've heard any fiscally responsible individual make, I, similar to points that I myself have made here, saying if free money is the answer, if money really did grow on trees, why not give more free money? Why not give it all out all the time? 
Why stop at $600 a person? Why not 1000 Why not 2000 Maybe these new free money Republicans should join the Everybody Gets a Guaranteed Income Caucus. Why not 20000 a year for everybody? Why not 30000 a year? If we can just print out money with impunity, why not? We can't keep pretending that more debt is a sustainable policy course. Leadership is not passing on the problem to someone who can't protest. Leadership is making the hard choices now. This is what we have to do. I will oppose this new debt. I will continue to sound the alarm until we change our course. Our country can be saved. We can survive this if we pull together. But adding more debt is a mistake. It is not the solution. He also said that the uh, COVID-19 lockdown rules across the country have been arbitrary. And that's true. Same folks that keep telling us to follow the science can't really offer up any scientific explanation for why they think uh, bars should close at a certain time but are okay before that time. But because coronavirus isn't going to get you before 9 p.m. What? Can't tell you why some restaurants should be allowed to continue but others can't. Why it's okay if you're in California to, uh, to cater to the movie folks, but uh, the restaurant that's literally just right beside where you're at, well, it's not allowed. Follow the science. Show me the science. Show me the science that says these decisions that you're making make sense. <laughs> I already mentioned back in the first hour, uh, Dr. Fauci literally all over the place. I'm sorry. The guy tells us that we shouldn't travel from Florida to New York, from Tennessee to Illinois, from Georgia to California, but then says that maybe it's okay for the U.K., to still keep coming, uh, telling them that they can't come here would be an overreaction. i got to scratch my head and say, why does anybody take this guy seriously anymore? What's his agenda? Just a question. All right, let's take a break. It is time for me to give Dr. Michael Bushler a call. So you got to stay right where you're at, and I'll be right back.
despite the threat against our way of life, be the biased leftist media, the government school system, lying preachers, etc., a new day of greatness shall soon dawn here in America. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, the leftists have been trying to destroy our beloved republic ever since the founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence. They understood that we the people were destined by God Almighty to be free and to enjoy the benefits of liberty. For God gave us brains to make decisions and get things done without the egotistical control freaks trying to control us from cradle to grave. I foresee an outbreak of true morality throughout the land as more and more of our fellow countrymen and women realize that in order to be truly free we must be influenced by and put into practice the high moral standards which long ago came from God Almighty. Just know that America's enemies around the world and domestically strutting their stuff will soon collapse in utter defeat and big-time disappointment as America will truly be great again. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. A candy maker in Indiana wanted to produce a candy that would be a witness, so he made the Christmas candy cane. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, the candy maker began with a stick of pure white hard candy to symbolize the virgin birth and sinless nature of Jesus. The candy maker made the candy in the form of a J to represent the name of Jesus who came to earth as our Savior. It also represented the staff of the Good Shepherd who reaches down into the ditches of the world to lift out the fallen lambs that have gone astray. Realizing his candy was very plain, the candy maker stated with red stripes to symbolize the scourging Jesus received by which we are all healed. The large red stripe was for the blood shed by Jesus on the cross so that we could have the promise of eternal life. Unfortunately, the candy became known only as a candy cane, a meaningless decoration seen at Christmas time, but the meaning is still there for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that this symbol will again be used to witness the wonder of Jesus and his great love that came down to us remain the ultimate and dominant force in the universe today and forever. Merry Christmas, and may God bless everyone. I'm Ron Edwards. Please check out theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Dan Perkins with your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. Are you looking for a job because you got laid off because of the coronavirus? Most veterans think that the GI Bill can only be used for college, but that's not true. It can also be used for retraining programs. So if you're out of work and looking for a new career, go to the VA.gov and look at the GI Bill benefits. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. This is Dan Perkins for your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. 
Did you know that the VA drastically expanded telehealth during the pandemic? Telehealth allows you to stay in your home and visit with the doctor. Prior to the outbreak of the epidemic, the VA system conducted about 2,500 telehealth video sessions daily. Today, it's increased a thousand percent with more than 25,000 telehealth calls every day. Here's your veterans tip of the day. Make contact with your local VA facility and find out how you can enroll in telehealth. It'll improve the quality of your care. This has been your songs and stories for soldiers.us veterans tip of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that slightly longer than usual break. I uh, hope you're enjoying the sounds of the season and the double dose of the Edwards Notebook, as well as the double dose of the Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day. And after my uh, technical sludgery, I've finally been able to uh, you know, do the things that I should be doing as a good little host. And we've got our guest on the line. So, uh, everybody, uh, welcome back to the show once again, Dr. Michael Bussler. Uh, Doctor, again, thank you so much for joining us once more, and I hope you're enjoying uh, the holiday season. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Tim. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. All right. Uh, as always, I uh, appreciate the fact that you are one of those folks that are out there on the front lines trying to teach college students uh, the finer points of how finance works and uh, uh, why maybe socialism is not such a good idea. That's that's a full-time job all by itself these days, but uh, I appreciate what you do. And uh, now we've uh, we've had the monstrosity of government rear its ugly head once again, uh, something that should be put together over the course of multiple months and let uh, the public know what they're trying to sneak into the bill and, and all this wonderful uh, stuff that we've seen over and over here lately, as, as Nancy Pelosi's explained it to us. Uh, we've got to pass the bill to find out what's in the bill. Uh, we've got COVID relief. We've got the omnibus uh, continuing resolution, and we got a Defense uh, Act uh, spending bills all passed all at one time uh, where there was absolutely no way whatsoever that the representatives even knew what was in it as they were voting, whether they were in the House or the Senate, let alone the American public. And we've been hearing slowly all day different things that people are finding, a lot of it outrageous. But uh, all that aside, uh, we still have one major question, and it's a question that you're uniquely qualified to help us answer. Is this even remotely close to being fiscally responsible? No, it is nowhere remotely close to being responsible fiscally. Um, however, um, it is something that is probably uh, needed at this point. So why do I say all that? So from the fiscally responsible part, um, the uh, Congress and the president signed, Congress passed and the president signed back in spring, the first set of stimulus package, uh, which was about $2.2 trillion in additional spending. And that gave uh, essentially free money to anybody who paid taxes the year before. Um, anybody that was unemployed or was collecting unemployment compensation got an extra $600 a week. Um, that meant that about two-thirds of the unemployed people are actually making more money being unemployed than being employed, but nonetheless. And then uh, the third portion was the um, payroll protection program to give business enough money to 
uh, get, get through this. Um, the first stimulus package worked splendidly in that the economy went into a recession after we were shut down from mid-March to the end of April. Um, turned out to be a, a deep recession, but short-lived because of the stimulus package. Starting in May, a V-shaped recovery uh, began. And in the third quarter of this year, uh, we had remarkable uh, growth. So we were coming back quickly. The stimulus package did work. However, then the cases, the virus cases started to flare up again in September and October and going now into November and December. Uh, so businesses, um, governors in about eight or 10 states pretty much closed down most of the businesses, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Illinois, Michigan, California, Washington, Oregon. It's about a third of the economy. And they pretty much shut down uh, everything. So we needed either a reopen again, which those governors don't want to do, uh, or pass another stimulus package. So that gets us to where we are today. Two things were actually in the bill. One, another $900 billion in stimulus, basically to do what the first one did, that is give Americans uh, more money uh, that's going to send $600 to every um at virtually every adult taxpayer, $2,400, I think, for every family of four. Um, increased um, uh, payments to unemployed people instead of 600 this time, only 300 and more protect, um, the uh, payroll protection plan loans. There's a couple other things in there, too, some money to get the virus uh, distributed, the uh, vaccine, rather, distributed uh, properly a little bit of money to help schools and universities reopen again because most of those are shut down and then there's about 80 to 90 billion dollars worth of stuff that i'm not sure what it is um money going to uh countries like cambodia and vietnam and i'm not sure what all that is i think it's a, a gesture to try to help these countries that are having some very difficult times there's money in there for the kennedy center planned parenthood Got some money. None of this has to do really with the stimulus package, but nonetheless, it was put was put in there. So the 900 billion was passed. Now, what about the other 1.4 trillion? Um, what's that for? So, um, independent of a stimulus package, the federal government is supposed to, but really doesn't, pass a budget every year. So fiscal year 2021 began on October 1st. 2020. So we, we go in a fiscal year. Um, the government budget, which was never passed, but in the government spending, uh, here, here's what happens. About 60% of what the government spends is for um, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, other income maintenance programs. The, the Congress doesn't have to vote on that. That's automatic. You know, they vote on any increase in some of the payments, but um, they don't have to vote on that. Those, what we call entitlements, are automatically part of the government spending. And that's 60% of the budget. Another 10% of the budget is for interest on the public debt, which obviously has to be paid. So that's 70% of the budget that's sort of locked in. Now, the rest of the budget, the defense side and the domestic side, is the $1.4 trillion that they passed. And if you read it, it says... This will cover us until September 30th, 2021, which is the end of the uh, fiscal year. Uh, so the, your original question was, is it fiscally responsible? And again, I said no, and here, here's why. Uh, so before the virus struck, the, the public debt 
which is the total of all deficits we've ever run up, was $23 trillion. Um, now, the public debt doesn't go down be, uh, unless we run a surplus in the budget because when we run a deficit, we sell bonds to get the money to uh, finance the deficit. Uh, we pay interest on the bonds every year. If it's a 20-year bond, it comes due in 20 years. How do we repay it? We don't have money to do that. So we sell new bonds to repay the old bonds, and we roll over the public debt. There's no mechanism in place to ever repay any of the money that we're borrowing unless we run a surplus in the budget. Uh, so the public debt was $23 trillion before this virus hit. Um, they passed the $2.2 trillion stimulus package in the spring, added to the $1 trillion debt we, uh, deficit we already had. So for fiscal 2020, the annual deficit was $3 trillion, that $26 trillion. Now they just passed another $2.3 trillion, which we also don't have. That'll make the deficit this year about $2 trillion, which will take the total debt up to $28 trillion. Now, is that a problem? And the answer is yes. And that's why I said it's not fiscally responsible uh, to keep spending money we don't have. It's a problem for two reasons. One, even though interest rates today are rock bottom, the interest on the public debt is about $400 billion a year. Again, that's about 10% of government spending. So that's $400 billion that can't be spent on good programs because we have to pay the interest on the debt. So that's one problem with it. The second problem, as the government is borrowing $28 trillion and keeps refinancing it, they pull money out of capital markets. When that happens, there may not be enough capital available to business to expand. And since we now have a capital-intensive economy rather than labor-intensive, we have a capital-intensive economy. In order to expand, we need capital. If the government's pulling big chunks of capital out of the market and there's not capital for business, they can't respond to increases in demand by increasing output because they can't get capital to expand. When that happens, you end up with inflation and probably a stagnant economy. Business can't expand. There's high demand. They have to raise prices as a result of that. So you end up with inflation and a stagnant economy inflation problem, which we had similar into the, 19, the late 1970s. So it's, it is irresponsible to continue to spend money that you don't have because the public debt is a, a problem. However, Congress and the president both agree, for the most part, that we have to get out of this um, virus problem, get the economy back on sound Ground. Once that happens, I believe they'll say, then we'll take a look at the deficit. Now, we, we've had this discussion before, though, uh, yeah. and of course it keeps coming up for some reason. Imagine that. We're talking about the government <laughs> spending, spending, spending. Um, at what point, though, are we uh, going to, to get past that tipping point? I mean, uh, I get that, that clearly there's a lot of people that – uh, need the direct help as quickly as possible. It's not as if uh, 
Uh, everyone has chosen to stay at home, although you can make the argument that uh, some folks were making a heck of a lot more money being unemployed and would prefer to do that. And realistically, if you can get a better paycheck doing that, uh, you, you're hard-pressed to, to tell them, no, you can't, because uh, it would be tempting. <laughs> It'd be tempting not to. Sure. But at what point do we have to take the hard line? At what point do people really have to start listening to like Rand Paul and his uh, viral rant that he made on the floor uh, before uh, the voting or people are going to have to realize that they can't continue on this indefinitely. At some point we've got to find a way to start paying back this uh, debt or we just simply won't have an economy that can support us. Yeah, I think we're pretty close to that point now, and I applaud Rand Paul. There are actually five senators that voted against this. Um, similar view as Rand Paul is you just can't keep sending free money to, to people. A better solution, they would say, and I would agree with them, is let's get the economy open back up again. Do it as safely as you can, but get the economy open back up again, get people back to work so they don't need the government handouts to be able to pay their bills. Now, I understand we have a virus problem. It's, it's a severe problem. Fortunately, we have two uh, vaccines that have been approved. And by the end of next week, there'll be, I think, 6 million doses will have been uh, given to uh, distributed across the uh, country. So we're working toward getting the virus under control. Again, we still have a ways to go. Probably won't be till late spring that we finally have this under control. But um, in the meantime, we need to get the economy opened as safely as possible, get these businesses open so they don't need government handouts, get people back to work so they don't need government handouts, get the economy uh, back and moving again. And then we'll have to start to take a look at this deficit uh, problem. The, 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 the re um, reality with the deficit uh, is it's an extremely difficult problem to, to solve. And why is that? As I mentioned, 60% of the uh, government spending is for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. If you start talking about cutting there, politically you're finished. 10% of the uh, government spending is for interest. We have to pay on the public debt. So there's not a whole lot of room left to cut government spending in order to balance the budget. You're not going to balance the budget by raising taxes. In fact, um, raising the tax rates may not bring in more revenue. Uh, you can raise the rates and you actually may bring in less revenue if you slow the um, economy down. I don't think the problem is taxation. The problem is spending. And as I say, it's a very difficult problem to uh, deal with. But at some point, I think um, had Trump won a second term, he would have dealt with the deficit uh, early in his term. If Biden is sworn into office, that he's not going to be concerned with the deficit. The economists that he he's already selected um, are starting to argue that a public debt is not really a big problem. It's okay to deficit spend, and it's okay to run up a, a big debt. So I don't think Biden will do anything um, about that, and it's starting to get to a pretty uh, tough spot. So as I say, we're well above one year's GDP with the public debt, and historically, that, that's the spot we, we uh, determine we have a problem. That hasn't happened where the debt was more than one year's GDP since 1945, and we were just coming out of World War II at that point, and they were able to get the 
um, the budget back in balance in the 1950s uh, and uh, start to get that deficit and the public debt down somewhat. Um, but in, in um, aside from World War II, we never had a public debt as large as we've had it now. And it, it is starting to be a problem. I think we have to deal with this sooner rather than later. All right. Well, uh, hopefully some more people will be paying closer attention, but I am afraid that you're absolutely right when it comes to what a Biden-Harris administration would look uh, towards doing. Uh, they do seem to have embraced the ideology that deficit spending is not a problem. Uh, I, it, it's almost as if uh, they would prefer to tank the economy would prefer to to allow and and I know everyone needs to understand this is me saying this is this is not Dr. Bustler saying this this is me uh, but it it does feel almost as if that might even be the goal because you would expect that they surround themselves with enough people to understand and that they understand history well enough to know that there have been a multitude of occasions whereby reducing taxes and letting the economy grow, that it has increased the income uh, that the federal government has been able to take in, that it has been a very positive move. It's allowed them to have more funds. But eventually, we do have to get to that point where we have to say, and you can poll uh, 100 Americans, 1,000 Americans, uh, whatever number you want to. If you ask the question, should the government spend less money, uh, you will get a very high percentage of people saying yes, absolutely. But when you start listing specific programs, then you start running into a lot fewer people being on board with, yeah, that's got to go because people like to get the benefit of that money. and. They don't care much of the fact that the federal government has exactly zero dollars of their own. They have to take it from people. So I absolutely positively hope folks pay better attention. Uh, we are quickly running out of time, though, Doctor, so I want to thank you again for coming with us, and I'd like to give you a, a couple of moments to just uh, share with us any final thoughts on the topic that you would uh, would like to put out there. Yeah, so um, I think your um, assessment is right. Um, Joe Biden has hired some very intelligent people. Larry Summers, who was president of Harvard University, was uh, Treasury Secretary. He's one of the ones that are starting to say that a public debt doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter if we, we let that grow. So there are some intellectual people that are advising uh, Biden, and he's uh, going along with it. But you also bring up another great point. There's plenty of times in history where we saw lowering the tax rates led to a high growth economy and actually bringing in more revenue. Reagan did it in uh, 82. He did it again in 80, uh, 86. Bill Clinton did it with the capital gains tax in 1996. He cut that from 28 to 20 percent, brought in more revenue. The economy grew at a four and a half annual rate for the next uh, few years. And most recently, Trump and Congress cut taxes in 2018. They took in more tax revenue in 2019 than they did total tax revenue in 2019 than they did in uh, 2018. And the economy got to uh, grow. Real wages went up for the first time in decades. Uh, the unemployment rate was down to uh, rock bottom. So you bring up some great points, and we'll just have to see how it plays out going into the future. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us tonight, sir. Sorry about the little snafu trying to get connected with you, but I'm glad we've made it. And in the meanwhile, I hope that you and uh, yours have a fantastic holiday season. Uh, God bless, and I hope we get to talk again real soon.
Thank you, Tim. Look forward to doing it, and happy holidays to you. Thank you, sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and that is uh, Dr. Michael Bussler. Uh, now, a quick reminder for those of you who maybe don't remember, but uh, Dr. Bussler is a public policy analyst. He's an economics expert. He's a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, and he's constantly writing uh, for Newsmax, The Hill, The Western Journal, and townhall.com, just to name a few. So very honored and happy to have him on with us today. Uh, take his words for the value of the expert that he has. And in the meanwhile, that's going to have to be it for me tonight. So uh, thank you, everyone who's here. Greatly appreciate you taking the time to join me, and I hope you enjoyed the show and the conversation with Dr. Bussler. Uh, while we're at it, let me do the usual. First and foremost, happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, festive, festivus, whatever you guys are doing. And uh, really do hope that the new year is a much better year for the rest of you. And uh, you know what? Also remember – as is always the case at the end of every broadcast, I challenge you, please, please, absolutely do not take my word for one little bit, not one little bit of what I've said, but please don't take the other guy's word for it either. I want you to take the time, put in a little effort, do your own research, and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, be smart out there. Even if it does kind of go against your nature. That's it for me for tonight. I will be back tomorrow night, and I expect uh, Ron Edwards will join us for the usual Wednesday. And that may be the last show of this uh, of this week. I don't know if I might sneak one in on Thursday instead, but I'll definitely not be doing anything on Thursday. Uh, unless something drastic and horrible happens. <laughs> if something drastic and horrible happens, then I will be. But in the meanwhile, that's it for now. I am out. Uh, God bless, and uh, hopefully see you guys tomorrow.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.